shout, a full-throated shout, hold nothing back, a trumpet blast shout, tell my people what's wrong with their lives, face my family Jacob with their sins. They're busy, busy, busy at worship and love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me what's the right thing to do and love having me on their side. But they also complain. Why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? What I'm interested in is seeing you do is sharing your food. Inviting the homeless, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad. Do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once. Your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places. I love how Eugene Peterson in his paraphrase the message shares that word with us. It's a, it's a word in which God is shouting out to people who have got things confused about several things. And you can follow along in your notes and if your bulletin if you want to. There's some things we'll look at this morning. There's so much more, but they had mixed up some things and confused some things, and that happens all the time. My wife and I were serving a church several years ago where we had th- started a brand new service, a modern worship service, And I would only preach at that service every four to six weeks. We had uh, a 20-something-year-old who would preach uh, most weeks while I preached the other two traditional services. But like I said, I'd be in there every four to six weeks. Sarah was part of the praise team for that service. And after one particular worship service, uh, they were meeting some new people, new to the service and to our church. And somebody had mentioned that Sarah was the pastor's wife. And that woman looked at my wife, my then 47-year-old wife, then looked at that 20-something-year-old pastor who was preaching that day, (laughs) looked back at my wife and simply said, you go, girl. (laughs) That woman had things confused. They had things confused what had they missed what is it that God wanted for the next couple of weeks this is where we'll be going now next week we'll take a break I want everyone here next week it's one of the more special days in the life of our church as we gather with families who have lost loved ones I'll be here in worship I won't be leading next week our son's getting married on Saturday uh, so please be praying for that I'll be with you in worship, but Ben will be leading us. But to have that memorial service together and then to share in Holy Communion, it's a special day in the life of our church. Uh, So please be here next week. But this week and then two weeks from now, we're going to be in Isaiah, the second half of Isaiah. It's supposed to be the easier half of Isaiah where God's restoring his people and talking about what he's going to do. But chapters 56 through 59 are, are difficult passages sets of accusations. That's where we'll be today, and then we'll go to chapter 62 in two weeks. This is where we're reading in our Bible reading plan, if you're in that three-year plan, and we're moving towards these chapters. So I wanted us to look at these passages because they had confused some things. Isaiah 58, verse 3. They had confused what faith was about and basically replaced it with religion. That's where they were. 
That's the background. It's this empty legalism, this formalism, looking like in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, this hoop jumping, this going through the motions, almost treating God as one of the pagan gods. I do this, so you have to perform a workspace righteousness. Watch me do, now God, you have to do. Commentators would say they're basically living like the Canaanites around them to make God work for them, and it became a hollow mockery. And some of Jesus' most pointed sermons are on that topic. Look, they're worshiping, they're fasting, they're, they're following Sabbath, but they're missing the heart of it. It can't just be the outside, but we'll finish today with what's he wanting to do in here? If you remember, I, I think a lot about and, and would really have my attention drawn to the 2014 Olympics in Russia just because I had preached on the streets of Sochi, Russia and, and had been there in a really difficult season. The day before we arrived, a bomb had gone off in Krasnodar. Uh, Chechnyan rebels had set off a bomb there, and then the day after we left, three bombs went off on that city. It was a very, and I've shared some stories about that season of taking a mission trip there for a week or two and trying to share the gospel with the sister church. But I remember at the, the two four, 2014, do you remember the, the opening ceremonies where everything looked so great on the outside, but then you'd hear reports of the Olympians throughout those Olympics saying, it'd be nice if we had a a doorknob on our bathroom. It'd be nice if we had plumbing in our bathroom. Everything on the outside looking wonderful, but we can't find not only a light bulb for our room, but you can't even forget about drinking the water. For some rooms, you weren't even supposed to touch the water because of what it could do to your skin. Looking grand on the outside, but what's on the inside? We had, I shared this on our YouTube devotional series back in August, but we had taken a train ride. We were hoping to hike through the Ural Mountains with some college students and youth on that mission trip, but because of the Chechnyan rebels, we couldn't do that. They were kidnapping Westerners. So we took a train, got on the train like at 10 o'clock, got off the train at 4 a.m. in a city we've never been to, and, and you had to scramble for your seats, which again, none of us, even, we didn't even have an interpreter with us. We just jump on this train at 10 o'clock at night, no interpreter, but again, it just shows the sadness of everything looked grand in that train station. But there wasn't any AC units in the middle of summer in Russia in that train car. Now, I say that train car, I didn't stay in the train car. You know why? because it was over 90 degrees in that train car, and Russian people, they basically took everything off with their families to sleep in that car. I'll be out in the hallway. So I went out in the hall, because we had just scrambled and spread out as a mission team, didn't have set seats. I'll just leave y'all there in your undies while I'll be out here. And in that hallway of oppressive heat, there was a crack in the window that much. And so for six hours, I just lived there at the crack of the window, trying to survived the heat, thinking of how beautiful that train station was in Krasnodar, but how barren and broken things were on the inside. The pride of what you saw in Moscow or St. Petersburg, but then the sadness and the, and, and the lack of anything inside those Olympic dormitories. Outside looks good, 
inside, as we see throughout this entire passage, is verse 11, empty. Now, God will come to us in the emptiest of places. That's what he promises there in verse 11 and promises to us. But he sees their religion. He sees their hoop jumping. And he says to them, but his word also says to us through Christ and through all of the scriptures, that's not, that's not what I desire. I, 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 didn't, I didn't call you for some kind of legalism or moralism. You certainly can't come to me as a Canaanite. Do your little incense. Do your little magic rite and expect me to jump. This is not who I am. This is not who I desire. Anytime we bump into that, we say, I can't believe they did that. But it's all over Scripture. And so we have to ask that question. We bump into it. Lord, is there some places where I'm going through the motions? Where it's all about religious duty, and I'm not doing it out of a heart for you. We'll close with that this morning. But anytime we bump into it, we want, to, we want to react to it and let the word have its place. And then this second word, what we also see the call is to turn from religion, that kind of moralism, but also to a life of repentance. You see it here in chapter 58, 13. Turn your foot or don't follow your own way. Or in the next chapter, verse 20, turn from your transgressions. You just see that this really is commentators say the heart of this poem this the heart of this accusation in Isaiah 58 is just so we have we sense and know and experience the conviction of sin that we see where where we've missed it in our life so that we will turn back to life with God and listen you heard Corey read it it's just just accusation after accusation verse three bosses do you crush your work workers Verse 4, are you bickering and fighting with somebody? Are you a mean person? Verse 7, do you help those in need? Verse 9, are you an unfair person? Do you blame other people? Do you talk about people when they mess up? Turn from that. Turn from your transgressions. Turn Turn your foot and do not follow your own way. The call from God is turn I think about this day and I think about my own childhood experiences, but then I also think a lot about my grandfather, a godly, wonderful man, but not so much on Halloween. He would send out his high school son to hide in the bushes. He had gotten his guitar from Skeets McWilliams and learned to play from him. If any of you remember his shop downtown Jackson years ago, that Les Paul, and he would take that amplifier, hide it in the bushes, and crank it up as high as it would go. And then this lovely grandfather of mine would come to the door when kids would trick-or-treat, and he would give them candy, and he would give them candy, and he would give them candy. And then, then about the 10th time the children had come to the door, my grandfather, they would say trick-or-treat, and he would say, oh, and turn the lights off. And my uncle would bring on that guitar, and the children, look, I wonder... I wonder if my grandfather did it when he saw older kids. You know, this will be a fun scare and a story for them. But what I really think, because my grandfather was also very cheap, he knew that when that sound was made from the bushes and they were terrified, not only would they run, I think he waited to the kids who had the full baskets because there was candy spread out throughout the yard. And my mom says they would just pick up candy the next day from the children still running, right? Turn. Those children turned. (laughs) They did a 
80. And it's God's looking at not just the lives of his people, but looking at the hearts of that people and what's not there. The constant call, the constant refrain throughout Scripture is, turn. God desires that His glory, verse 8, will be near to us and be our guide. But verse 9 says, if, if we, if we do what He's called us to do, we turn from ourselves and turn to the things that He has for us. It's a good word for us. To hear that word, the first sermon of John the Baptist, the first sermon of our Lord and Savior Jesus, this word we're finding over again through every, just constantly throughout the scriptures. Lord, where do I need to turn? Maybe the heart of that verse in the Greek means turn my mind, a, a different mind and how I view the Lord and how I view things, but also just this 180. Lord, where are the places in my heart, where are the places in my life that I know it's my way? It's not your way. Turn from my way, says Isaiah. Turn from your way to the Lord's way. Need to hear that today? They also needed to hear, and you see it here in, in chapter 58, verses 6 through 7 and verse 10, this call then to, to share the righteousness of God, to put the righteousness of God on display. Uh, they've missed that. Uh, they may have jumped through some hoops, but it's not just this personal righteousness, but as Renee said to us this morning as well, it's, it's this righteousness where we give ourselves away to others, where we serve others. You see this so much of Isaiah. Here's the life of Christ. He's the one who fed. He's the one who helped. He puts all these things on display for us. And these are the things we're called to. So it's not just, and this can happen to us. I've got a personal walk with Jesus. My life is clean. I don't, I don't lie. I don't do this. I don't do that. Wonderful to have a personal righteousness before the Lord. What are you doing for others? How are you blessing and helping others? And that's the call to them in this passage as well. Not just a personal relationship where you keep the disciplines and, and you live a life that, that shows His glory, but how are you reaching like God reaches? It's throughout here. And just thinking of the, the ways in which seeing some of you sign up for how you're going to serve next year, or even what we've got coming up in the next couple of weeks, whether it's Operation Christmas Child or Delta Grace Mission Trip in a few weeks or, or, or seeing how you're going to support the bake sale and we're, we're going to continue to fund the Moody's. How is it that we reach out and live the life God's called us to live? Yes, it's a personal righteousness, but that righteousness then has to be gifted and shared. And then lastly, and I love the heart of this, it's always relationship. That's what he's calling us to. Isaiah 58, 9 and 11. It's always about relationship. I like what uh, Motier said. When everything is at the bleakest and least promising, God will supply. That God will show up. In their emptiness, God will come and be real. This is the heart of what he's Desiring. Now we bump into these prophets and maybe we don't hear some of their, their, their warnings. I love what meteorologist Matt LeBon said. I, we had him speak at a senior adult event at my last church. He's from Tupelo. And he's, he's, 
he laments the tornado warnings monthly. You got to check them every month, but sometimes because you, you, you run them and you have them in the clear of the day, everybody can hear them. He says, but in the storms, sometimes you can't hear them. And he expressed concerns about that. He says, the storms that produce tornadoes, the sound of the warning may not make it to your ears. The sound of this tragedy, what's going on in the people of God there, or maybe when we get self-deceived and we're playing with sin and we can't hear, or could it just be the busyness of our schedules? We're so busy with good tasks and responsibilities that we're not hearing what the words of the prophets and the words of scriptures say. This chapter begins so we will not miss it and they would not miss it. Shout. Shout. Raise your voice like a trumpet. I don't want religion from you. I want you. I want you. Just two little books, Isaiah and Jeremiah, out of 66 books, and they contain 10% of all of the Scripture's uses of the word heart. I, I challenge you to find that word heart presented in the way it's presented in the prophets before the prophets. But God is, you think, well, this is a set of accusation. This is the prophets talking about the future, what could come, and, and scaring the life out of the people of God. No, he's trying to scare the life of God into the people of God. Heart, heart, heart. This is what I desire for you. It's where we hear God say to the people of God, I love you. I don't want motions. Yes, I want personal holiness. Yes, we have to be about a life that gives ourselves away to others, and it, we better live for others. But what I want, and this is what we can't miss, I want you. It's what Rosemary so beautifully played for us as we started uh, this morning, that hymn. Just take my heart and seal it. Take my heart. God wants that. Some of us need convincing that God actually wants that. But it's not religion, it's relationship. That's what Jesus gave himself for. We've just come from verses, chapters 50 through 55. You go back and read those, and we're about to read them in our Bible reading plan. Some of the most heartbreaking chapters in all of Scripture that prophesy about the one who would come and suffer for us, to give himself for us. And so here is God just after that saying, I want you. He's coming for you. I want your heart. How is it today? You need to give him that and allow him to be a God of relationship with you. I will be your near guard. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for this, your word, for what it says to us and challenges us about those times where we try to keep you at a distance, when we try to get from you, or we just try to think will please you and appease you by hoop jumping. Help us to repent of that, of any selfish ambition, of any, any kind of life that's not pleasing to you. May we hear this word from your prophet that we would repent and turn. Father, also turn our eyes to the needs around us, that the holiness and the righteousness in our lives would not just be, look at me, the Father be a righteousness that flows from a heart relationship with you and that is broken for the things that break your heart.
Help us to turn our lives to others and to serve as we have so beautifully been served by the one who was broken for us. Father, we thank you for the heart relationship that you offer to us through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the reminder of that in this your word to us today. May we simply receive anew your love and walk in the gift of that intimacy and relationship. It is in your son's holy name that we pray this prayer. Amen.